ಶನ್ನೋ ಮಿತ್ರಣ ಶನ್ನೋವತ್ವರ್ಯಮಾಂದ್ರೋ ಬೃಹಸ್ಪತಿ ಶನ್ನೋ ವಿಷ್ಣುರುಕ್ರಮ ನಮೋ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣೆ ನಮಸ್ತೆ ವಾಯೋವ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಕ್ಷ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಸಿ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಕ್ಷ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ಋತಂ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ಸತ್ಯಂ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ತನ್ಮಾಮವಧು ತದ್ವಕ್ತಾರಮವಧು ಮಾತು ವಕ್ತಾರಂ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಸಹನಾವಧು ಸಹನೋ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಹೈ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಭ್ಯೋಧ್ಯಮೃತಾತ್ಸಂಬೂವ ಸೇಂದ್ರ ಮೇಧಯಸ್ಪೃಣೋ ತಸ್ಯಧಾರಣೂಯ ಶರೀರ ಮೇ ವಿಚರ್ಷಣ ಜಿಹ್ವಾ ಮೇ ಮಧುಮತ್ತಮ ಕರ್ಣಾಭ್ಯಾಂಭೂರಿ ವಿಶ್ರುವ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣ ಕೋಶಿ ಮೇಧಯ ಪೀತ ಮೇ ಗೋಪಾಯ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಹಂ ವೃಕ್ಷಸ್ಯರೇರಿವ ಕೀರ್ತಿ ಪೃಷ್ಠಂಗಿರೇರಿವ ಊರ್ಧ್ವಪವಿತ್ರೋವಾಜಿನೀವಸ್ವೃತಮಸ್ಮೆ ದ್ರವಿಣಗುಂಸವರ್ಚಸ ಸುಮೇಧಾಮೃತೋಕ್ಷಿತೇತ್ರಿಶಂಕೋರ್ವೇದಾನುವಚನ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಓಣಮದೂರ್ಣಮಿದ ಪೂರ್ಣಾತ್ಪೂರ್ಣಮುದೇ ಪೂರ್ಣಸ್ಯೂರ್ಣಮಾದಾ ಪೂರ್ಣಮೇವಶಿಷ್ಯದೆ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶ್ರುತಿಸ್ಮೃತಿಪುರಾಣಲಯ ನಮಿ ಭಗವತ್ಪಾದಶಂಕರ ಲೋಕಶಂಕರ ಶಂಕರ ಶಂಕರಾಚಾರ್ಯ ಕೇಶವ ಬಾದರಾಯಣ ಸೂತ್ರಭಾಷ್ಯಕೃತೌ ವಂದೇ ಪಂಥೌ ಪುನಃ ಪುನಃ ಈಶ್ವರೋ ಗುರುರಾತ್ಮೇದಿ ಮೂರ್ತಿಭೇದ ವಿಭಾಗಿನೆ ವ್ಯೋಮವ್ಯಾಪ್ತೇಹಾಯ ದಕ್ಷಿಣಾಮೂರ್ತೇಮಸಗೋಚರಂಮಸಗೋಚರಂಮಖಿಲಾಧಾರಂಮಖಿಲಾಧಾರಂಶ್ರೀಷ್
or of the good acts and the good tendencies, there is a continuity in him. The question was that if you say that the wise man is free and therefore effectively beyond all the injunctions, does it mean that his behavior becomes licentious? The answer is no. On the other hand, his behavior is spontaneously good. For the simple reason that one has to be a good person in order to know the self, in order to gain this knowledge, minimum requirement is one should be a good person. I'm good to the core. Good at every level when one becomes, then alone one is prepared. That's a preparation for knowledge. Well, Atma is good. The beauty about the thing is, Atma is good through and through. Even in what appears to be bad, from our standpoint also, Atma which is good alone is, and that alone is. So this is really a discovery of the fact that everything is good through and through. There is nothing bad in this world. That is really the discovery of the truth. When we say that Atma is Advaita, Advaita is non-dual, and Atma is Satchirananda, is, is existence, awareness, fullness, and that alone is, that means that everything is existence, awareness, fullness, and anything other than that is a projection. And so, one has to recognize this fact that it is Atma alone which appears to be. So what about the crooked things that we find? What about cruelty and everything that we find? That it is not real. That it is Mitya. And only the good is real. This is the truth that Vedanta reveals. So it is not that the, the what is bad is rejected or discarded as overlooked. Only Vedanta says, Brahma Satyam Jagan Mitya. Brahma means what is good is Satyam, is true, is real. Jagat is Mitya, creation meaning this what we call bad or crooked or duality or division and all of that. Even though that alone seems to be, what we experience on that alone it looks, there seems to be any predominant of divisions and strife and suffering and duality and what not. Even then that is wrong. And then seems to be only in our experience a little bit of goodness somewhere, but they say that that alone is real. Now to discover that fact, one has to be good through and through in one's personality at every level. At the level of the emotion, at the level of thinking, at every level one has to be thoroughly good. And so before one becomes wise, one is already good in preparation for this knowledge so naturally after becoming wise that goodness doesn't go away and that alone continues. Or you may say, Shubhashubhayaho Audasinyamva or you may find this wise man indifferent to the accepted code of conduct of what is called good and bad because he is neither good nor bad meaning he is beyond both good and bad in as much as good and bad both are relative. So good is relative to bad and he is not functioning at the relative plane from his standpoint, and therefore you may say that he is indifferent to good and bad. <coughs> this is what we discussed yesterday. Sometimes a question arises, when you see certain statements in the scriptures, where it looks as though wise man has a license to act in whichever manner he likes. Uh, Sarvabhūta-sthitam yomāṁ bhajat-yekat-pamāśritah sarvatha-vartamānopi sayogi mai vartate Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that this yogi who sees me equally abiding everywhere so his vision is rooted in, in me who equally abides in everywhere so sarvatha-vartamānopi 
then in whichever manner he exists, in whichever manner he conducts himself, sayogi mai vartate, that yogi is still rooted in me, regardless of whatever his actions and behavior is. This is what Lord Krishna says. Yevam vetta purusham prakritim jagunaisaha sarvathavartamanopi nasabhuyobhi jayate. One who knows the prakriti and the purusha, the spirit and matter in this manner properly, then however he then remains in this world, he is not born again. So that seems to be sometimes an indication that the behavior of the wise man does not matter. Says, there is a text, for example, there is an Upanishad, namatruvadhena, napitruvadhena. Suppose even he, if you find him killing his mother or father, then also he is not tainted. Yasinaham krito bhavaha buddhir yasinaripyade hatvapi saiman lokan nahantina nibadhyade. Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Yasinaham krito bhavaha, one who is free from this ahankara or the sense of individuality. Once buddhi of the mind does not get attached anywhere in terms of mine and yours, etc. Even if he kills his worlds as in the battle, he does not kill nor does he get bound. Interesting. Says another Paramahasa Saranda text, even if this person, wise man, performs a thousand Ashwamedha Yajna, as we say Ashwamedha is supposed to be the most exalted ritual or action that one can perform, suppose he performs a thousand of them, Brahma Ghata Lakshani, or he kills a a hundred thousand Brahmins. I mean, killing Brahmin is supposed to be the worst sin one can perform, you know. So, Brahmahatya. Killing a Brahmin is the worst possible sin. So, this text says, suppose he happens to kill hundred thousand Brahmins. And performing Ashwamedha Yaga is supposed to be the most exalted thing. Suppose he performs a thousand of this. Doesn't make any difference to him. Paramarsavinna punyaihi nachapapaihi lippyade manujaha. The one who is Paramarsavit, the knower of the truth, he is not tainted either by the punya or the merit of the Ashwamedha Yaga or not tainted by the, the sin of killing Brahmanas. And so on and so forth, it just goes on like that. There are many quotations like this. Even Panchadasi said, where we studied in the sixth chapter, Arabda karmananatvat buddhanam anyathanyatha Vartanam tena shastrase bhravibhantavyam na panditehi. On account of the prarabdha karma, you find that the wise people conduct themselves differently. So at the behavioral level, no two people are going to be the same, even if they are wise. Because what really governs their behavior is, and their experience is what we call prarabdha, the destiny. And that being the case, you find that the behavioral pattern of the wise people is different. But that na bhramitavyam panditaihi, but then when the panditas, the wise, the learned people should not think that they are not wise. <coughs> so, a, a question is asked that all these statements seem to think, seem to imply that they, there is a license, you know, as far as yasheshtacharanam, meaning that he seems to behave in a licentious manner according to his whims and still is not affected. Does it mean that a wise man is whimsical? Then the answer is that no, do not take these statements literally. Tesham vachananam vidvatsudhi paratvena. All these statements that you find in the scriptures, don't take them literally. Very often students take these things literally and they believe, they, they come to the conclusion that as far as Vedantins are concerned, there are no codes of conduct. Because Atma is ever free and therefore is never bound. So there is no duty, there is nothing. Atma is free from Punya and Papa. Nadatte kasyajit pavam. So, nachayiva sukrutam vibhuhu, says Bhagavad Gita, that Atma is not tainted by the sin or the merit. And therefore, people feel that your behavioral pattern or your actions have no relevance at all as far as knowledge of Brahman is concerned. But understand that all the statements that we just read are meant merely for stuti or for praising or eulogizing this knowledge and nothing more than that. There is no intention really to mean that 
Actually, a wise man can kill and things like that. But the point is, it is just to praise this knowledge. That, to just praise the freedom, that there is a total freedom from punya and papa, freedom from merit and demerit, freedom from, because there is no attachment, no kartrutma bhava. And just to praise that, sometimes the, uh, these kind of statements are found in the scriptures. In fact, says again, Nishkarma Siddhi, Sureshwaracharya says, Adharma jayate jnanam yatheshta charanam tadaha dharmakarya katham tatsyat yatra dharmo vinashyati. This yatheshta charanam, that when one behaves in a licentious manner, meaning one transgresses the accepted codes of conduct, then when does it happen? Agnyanam, because of ignorance. And ignorance here is aviveka, meaning this non-discrimination. Or a false understanding of taking what is right to be wrong and vice versa. And why does one have this distorted perception? So one's licentious behavior is due to one's distorted perception of life. And why one does have, for the very simple reason that, I know that I don't want to be hurt, and that I don't want my freedom to be transgressed by anyone else. So I, I know equally well that no one wants to be hurt or no one wants their freedom to be transgressed by me. And still if I do that, that shows there is some distortion in my perception. So when we find a person deliberately transgressing the accepted, you know, norms, we know that there is some, some problem with his perception. And why does this distortion happen? Adharma jayate agnyanam. Because of adharma, because of the sinful behavior, this person becomes, perception becomes distorted and that is how he behaves in a licentious manner. Dharmakarya katham tatsyat When one is uh, devoted to dharma, meaning to righteousness, how is it ever possible that his behavior will be uh, licentious or transgressing the code of conduct? Yatra dharma vinashyati Because by such behavior, the very dharma will be you see, the effect of dharma, the effect of righteousness will be to create righteousness and not to destroy righteousness. So this kind of behavior which is uh, transgressing the norms of, norms of the codes of conduct is that which is opposed to dharma. And therefore that cannot be the product of dharma. It has to be product of adharma. In short, uh, we say that the wise man would be spontaneously good. However, not necessarily tied down to the accepted norms. Because it is quite possible that at a given point in time the society may have accepted norms which may not necessarily be in conformity with the truth of life. It is possible. Because societies also go through certain cycles of patterns. And therefore it is possible that a society may entertain certain values which are not in keeping with the truth. So you may find that the wise man does not conform to that. But that doesn't mean that he should be condemned because he has a perception of truth and harmony according to which he is spontaneously harmonious or good, although his harmonious or good behavior also may not be so understood by other people and that other people may brand him and hang him and crucify him. That's a different thing. But he is always spontaneously good. That's the idea. <coughs> and this is what is said in the next verse. Because you say Shuha Shuvayoho Audasinyamva, the last statement said that, or you may find him indifferent towards good and bad, good or evil, then does it mean that these values that we hear in Bhagavad Gita, Amanitvam, Adambhitvam, Ahimsa, Kshantihi, Arjavam, Lord Krishna in the 13th chapter gives us these 20 values. Amanitvam, humility, Adambhitvam, non-pretentiousness, ahimsa, non-violence, kshantihi, forbearance, forgiveness, accommodation, arjavam, straightforwardness. So these are the values which are given for a seeker. And then also the twelfth chapter of Bhagavad Gita says, adveshta sarabhutanam maitraha karunaha evacha. Describing wise man. How is it? Adveshta sarabhutanam one who does not have dvesha or hatred or aversion for anyone. Maitraha, on the other hand, one who is always friendly, meaning one who has affection for everyone. Karunaha, and one who is karunaha, one who is compassionate. So these values which are said in the scriptures, 
What happens to all of these in case of wise men? Do they disappear or what happens to them? When you say that he transgresses everything, does he transgress these, these qualities also? And that question is answered in the passage 224 on page 121. <clears throat> Tadani Jnana sadhanani Adveshtratva dehe Sadgunascha Alankaravata Anuvartande Adveshtra, it should be here, double tra has been printed Adveshtratva dehe Tadanim. Tadanim meaning when one is thus wise or free, established in one's own self, amanatvadini jnana sadhanani. So Bhagavad Gita in fact gives values for the seeker which are called jnana sadhanani, which are the means for knowledge. Etad jnana miripraktam agnyanam yadatonyatha, says Lord Krishna after describing the twenty values, that this is called jnanam, this is called knowledge. And the opposite of it is agnanam, ignorance. Why does Lord Krishna calls it jnanam? Because jnana sadhanani, they are the means of knowledge. So means of knowledge are said in a figurative manner, the knowledge itself. So the amanitva, etc. is called knowledge or the means of knowledge. So these, these are the values, amanitvam, adambhitvam, which is what the seeker conscientiously and deliberately cultivated. So what happens to all of them? Says Anuvartande, all of them persist, continue to remain the wise man. And again Lord Krishna, as we say, describes in the twelfth chapter the characteristics of wise man. Adveshta Sarabhutanam Maitraha Karunaha. So these characteristics of wise men that are described, they also are naturally there. Alankara like ornaments. So like ornaments remain on the body of a person and so also like ornaments these great qualities remain in the wise man. As we said, now he is spontaneous. When he was a seeker, he was a deliberate person and he was deliberately trying to be humble, trying to be forgiving, trying to be accommodative, trying to be non-violent. Because ignorance creates all these negative things. Ignorance creates violence. Ignorance creates resentment. Ignorance creates pretentiousness, hypocrisy, pride, arrogance. All of these are products of ignorance, dishonesty, whatever, non-straightforwardness. So all of these are products of ignorance, which creates various complexes within oneself, and it creates all kinds of fears, insecurities, and shame, and whatnot. And that is why people you know, are what they are. So Lord Krishna says that whenever you find this pride or arrogance or pretentiousness or violence, understand that to be the product of ignorance. And therefore, if you are pursuing knowledge, then you must be careful in in resolving this and eliminating this because this is ignorance. Ajnanam yadatoni. What is ignorance? Ignorance is not a tangible substance. We know ignorance from its products. So, Mahitvam, Dambhitvam, all Himsa, these are what? These are the products of ignorance. So, whenever you find this thing in yourself, don't support it. When you find, find pride or arrogance or violence or resentment or rejection or whatever, then do not support it. Don't condemn it, but don't support it also, knowing fully well that this is a product of ignorance. And therefore, strive to become free from them. And thus, the seeker deliberately tries to become, this is the sadhana really. So even if the Vedanta Shastra does not ask us to do all kinds of japa and meditation, suppose directly, the sadhana, meaning the constant practice, and this is a spiritual practice, that be aware of one's own thoughts, and one's own tendencies and reactions, and recognizing this, manitvam, dambhitvam, Himsa, recognizing this, 
and always constantly striving to resolve it and become free from that is a constant effort. And so, as a seeker, this person who has now become wise has deliberately pursued those values and deliberately removed those impurities or those distortions from his own mind. And therefore, now they become spontaneous in him. So, jnana sadhanani. Lakshanatvena alankaravat anuvartanat navirodaha. These are not opposed to knowledge. Idea is, what is opposed to wisdom? Yathestacharanam. This whimsical or or licentious behavior is definitely opposed to wisdom. But this quality such as Amanitvam or Advaishtutvam, they are those which are totally in conformity with the knowledge and therefore they remain with the wise man as his ornaments. So this is how we can have a glimpse of wisdom. If violence etc. is definitely demonstration of ignorance, the non-violence and kindness and compassion etc. is naturally the manifestation of, of knowledge. And therefore, even though we cannot really judge a person as to whether a person is wise or not, these are the things by which we can definitely understand that there is wisdom. Wisdom does manifest here in the form of these qualities which remain with the wise person as alankara, as ornaments. <coughs> Okay, then the next passage is quotes here a verse from Nishkarma Siddhi. Taduktam Utpannatma Vabodhasya Utpannatma Vabodhasya Shadwe Strutwada Yogunaha Shadwe Strutwada Yogunaha Ayatnato Bhavatyans Ayatnato Bhavantyasya Ayatnato bhavantyasya natu sadhana rupinaha natu sadhana rupinaha Taduktam This is again a statement from Naishkarma Siddhi from Sureshvacharya Utpanna atma avabodhasya For the one in whom atma avabodha utpannaha Avabodha means knowledge so this expression avabodha is constantly used in the text Nishkarma Siddhi. So Sureshwara Acharya uses the word avabodha for knowledge. Atma avabodha, knowledge of the self. Utpanna atma avabodhasya, utpanna atmanah avabodha, yasyasaha utpanna atma avabodha. One for whom this knowledge of self has arisen, he adveshtutva deyogunaha ayatnato bhavandi. Then all these gunas or qualities or characteristics such as these values such as advaishtutvam meaning not hurting anybody or not hating anybody and being friendly and being kind all of this ayatnataha bhavanti apratnena eswataheva bhavanti all of these are there spontaneously or effortlessly natu sadhana rupinaha no more there is an effort involved in for the wise man, in order to be non-violent or in order to be kind, no effort is involved. So, a yet no effort is required as far as the seeker is concerned, but as far as the wise man is concerned, it has become spontaneous. And this is the whole idea. Whenever we are asked or told or recommended that certain values be followed, then those are the values which ultimately become spontaneous. Say Shankaracharya, Describing this, whenever this occasion comes, that what, a, what are the values for a seeker become the natural traits for a wise man. So this is really the nature of the self. Understand? These values, like twenty values which are told, Amanitvam, Adambitvam, Ahimsa, or Adveshta, Sarabhutanam, Maitraha, Karunaha, all of these really, these values are derived from the nature of the self, nature of the truth. As we said, the self is amani. It has no pride or arrogance at all. It never, you know, boasts. Silent. Adambitvam. It never presents itself different from what it is. Ahimsa. The self never violates anything. 
never is opposed to anything. Shanti, always accommodative, forbearing. Whether a sinner is there, whether a saint is there, whatever is there, the self equally abides in them all. Without opposing anything, without violating anything. Arjavam, always simple, plain and simple and straightforward, truthful. These are the, in fact, the characteristics of self, Atma. And therefore, that is in fact my nature. At the moment, they don't seem to be evident because I am I'm, I'm, I'm leading a very unnatural life. So the life of this pride and arrogance is an unnatural life. Although the society takes them to be natural, to be aggressive and to be violent, etc., maybe taken, accepted to be values by some society at some point in time, but in fact that is an unnatural behavior. And so what is natural is humility. What is natural is non-violence. So these are in fact, this is the nature of the self and that's the reason why when we follow those values, we feel good. Whenever you are able to forgive somebody, whenever you are able to uh, be humble, whenever you are able to be straightforward and truthful, then you feel good because it is in keeping with the self. And whenever we compromise these values, we always feel bad because it is against our own nature and therefore a conflict is naturally created. Either a sense of guilt or a conflict is created within whenever we violate these values. That shows that these values are all in keeping with the nature of the self. Therefore, one will someday abide in them. Since it is the nature of the self, therefore, it, is, it should become natural to me and someday they should become spontaneous. So values are those which are expected to be or which are going to be spontaneous at some point in time. And therefore, as we pursue these values, it becomes easier and easier and easier. So it becomes easier and easier to be truthful and easier as we pursue these values. And therefore, ayatnato bhavantyasya, for this wise man, all these values become ayatnataha, meaning effortless, they become his natural traits, Natu sadhana rupa, he no more has to practice these values, that's all. He no more has to practice these values, without practice, these values are there naturally. <coughs> so this is how a jivan mukta, jivan mukta means a man uh, liberated while living is described. And now in the final passage, the attainment of kravalya or absoluteness, so what happens to the wise man when wise man when he dies? Meaning when the body drops off, then even that apparent separation which was there from Brahma, even that apparent separation does not remain. In fact, wise man has no separation from Brahma. But in as much as there is his body, and therefore there seem to be the pleasure and pain and various experiences at the level of body. And it appears as though there are limitations of the body which a wise man apparently experiences from the, at least the standpoint of the onlookers. Even that apparent and slight limitation which appears to be there also drops off when the prarabdha or this destiny is exhausted. And that is the point that is made in the last passages. Say the passage 226. Kimbahuna Ayam Dehayatra Matratham Dehayatra Matratham Icha Anicha Parecha Prabitani Parecha Sukadukalakshanani Arabdapalani Anubhavan Antahkarana Abhasadinam Abhasakasan Tadavasane Pratyagananda Parabrahmani Prane Line Sati Agnana Tatkarya Samskaranam api 
विनाशाद्यम आनंदकसम अखिल भेद प्रतिभासरहित अखंड ब्रह्म अवतिष्ठते किम बहुना टू मेक इट शॉर्ट नाउ टू कंक्लूड यू सेड इनफ नेवर नाउ किम बहुना इन शॉर्ट और टू वट्स 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 नीड नाउ इन स्ट्रेचिंग दिस फर्दर सो वाई स्ट्रेच दिस फर्दर अयम देह यात्रा मात्रार्थम सो वेन दिस वाइस पर्सन इज अलाइव देह यात्रा मात्रार्थम ही इज लिविंग हिज एक्टिविटीज so whatever activities are suppose there are some deliberate activities are performed by the wise person then those deliberate activities are confined to dehe yatra matrasam merely for continuation of the sustenance of this body that's all so he said that even a wise man also should not deliberately uh, abuse the body that whatever are the minimum needs of the body may they be satisfied therefore hunger and thirst and the minimum protection of the body may the wise man also not neglect them and therefore the activities which are there for the wise man are all going to be at the moment for the sustenance of the body tan matrartham nadu indriya prityartham so his minimum activities are going to be for the sustenance of the body and not for indriya prityartham not for the gratification of the senses so the activities in his life are not going to be for gratification of the senses because it does not require a gratification at the level of senses why is it so because why would one want to gratify the sense organs with sense pleasures in order to be happy in order to gain happiness atmaneva atmana tushtah in as much as his happiness comes from within or his happiness comes effortlessly his happiness comes from everything let us say not only within but without also it is not that when he is without that he is not happy he is happy alone because nothing is opposed to the self and the self is happiness and therefore he is happy effortlessly that being the case no effort is to be made in order for him to be happy and therefore he doesn't pursue doesn't have to pursue any pleasure as such so we find that his life is not for the pursuit of happiness the deliberate actions are at the most for the sustenance of the body <coughs> and then arabdha phalani anubhavan experiencing the results of the prarabdha karma or the destiny so what he experiences he goes through various experiences in life as presented to him by destiny <coughs> this destiny also comes to him in three fold ways that's what the text says ichha anichha parichha prapitani how does prarabdha prarabdha as we say it is is that portion of the actions which has resulted fructified into the giving rise to this body three four actions were there or actions were divided into three categories sanchita prarabdha and agami or kriyamanani sanchita karma are those accumulated actions over the past births and which are not yet fructified and which are there in one's stock to be fructified later and prarabdha karma is that portion of the sanchita karma or accumulated actions which have fructified and resulted into this body and resulted into the various experiences or situations in life that are created so whatever is not within our control should be considered as prarabdha prarabdha is destiny what i cannot control what i have not created what i am i am confronted with is what we call destiny so whatever happens around including whatever happens to the body which is not deliberate we would call that prarabdha or destiny and whatever actions i perform deliberately those actions will fructify in future and give rise to result they are called agami or the future actions actions which will have future results so sanchita prarabdha and agami 
If you say that the Sanchita Karma or all the accumulated actions are destroyed in the wake of knowledge, as you say, like a dreamer waking up, and then all the actions he performs in the dream are all destroyed as soon as he wakes up, because the waker is not the one who performs the actions. As far as Agami Karmas are concerned, me, the actions that he appears to be performing, he is not really performing because he doesn't have Kartrutva or Bhoktrutva, and therefore he is not tainted by the actions being performed. Then how about the prarabdha karma? The prarabdha of the destiny that remains because it has already begun to fructify. And like an arrow, which is shot, you know, with certain force, will hit the target. And then before that, it will not be stopped. So having released the arrow, suppose you want it to stop in the middle, it won't stop. So Shankaraja at one point explains in the text, that suppose a person shoots an arrow at a lion, thinking that that object is lion, and then having shot the arrow, discovered it's a cow. No, killing a cow in India is, is you know, is a, is a terrible sin. Killing a Brahmana and killing a cow, these are terrible sin, sins. So he thought that it was a wild animal and therefore he shot arrow. And then all of a sudden he discovered it's a cow. No, he doesn't want that arrow to go there. But the arrow will go there anyway and hit that cow. Meaning that there is nothing that you can do with reference to the arrow that is set in motion. Like a potter's wheel which is set in motion, to make a pot, it will take its own time to, to stop. Like a motor car which is uh, running at a high speed, and therefore even if you take off your pedal, off the, ex- I mean, you know, foot off the accelerator pedal, or even if you apply the brake, it will still take its own time to stop. And similarly also, the prarabdha karma which has given rise to the birth of this body, and to the various situations created, which we face moment to moment, that will be exhausted only when the experience, the effect of the Prarabdha Karma is experienced. And that being the case, the Prarabdha Karma is the only thing that he has to go through. As you said, Tasyatavadeva Chiram Yavanda Vimokshe Athasampatshe. Only so long as a wise man to wait before totally becoming one with Brahman is as long as the body is there, so long that apparent obstacle is there. And when that drops off, then even that also does not remain. However, while he is alive, while this body is alive, then the prarabdha karma or the destiny presents situations in threefold ways which can be classified as Icha, Prarabdham, Trividham, Svetchakradam, Bhikshatanadi, Parechakradam, Anichakradam, Svetcha, Parecha and Anichya. Svetcha by one's own will. Parecha by the will of others. Anicca by nobody's will. So, the situations are created in the threefold ways. Svetcha, that by one's own will or deliberation, one does certain things, like Bhikshatanadi. As we said, that even a wise man also is asked to make an effort to sustain the body, and therefore he also will go for what we call Bhikshatanam, begging the food, etc., in order to sustain the body. So those are the actions that he performs deliberately. This is called Icha Prarabdha or the destiny that is created on account of his own will. <coughs> Even though there is a will, there is not a will really. But it appears as though he wills to go for food, etc. for sustenance of the body. But even while performing those actions, he doesn't have what we call Kartrutva Bhavana. Then there is Parecha Prapitani. There are many uh, things that the wise man experiences because they are deliberately brought about by others. His devotees may bring a lot of food, etc., you know, or whatever. So, Parecha. So, very often other people, in fact, create situation for the wise person. They want him to go someplace. Now, this is also there. Because just as God also responds to the prayers, you know what we call avatar or incarnation is nothing but a response to the prayers of the devotees. So, where in the Indian scriptures they describe God being incarnated in a given form, in a human form or any other form, that it is always a result of lots of prayers made by lots of good people and the sages and saints. So even God also is made to respond to the prayers made by devotees and so also. If the devotees of the 
you know, the teacher here, and we want to learn this. Suppose this thing happens, then perhaps that may create a condition where someone comes here. That's why somebody asked, you know, a Swami, why do you have to go to United States? Ask Swami in fact. And there is enough work to be done in India. There are so many students in India here, and there are only a few students in the United States. Why do you go there? So I don't go there. It just happens, you know, that I, I'm not identified with one or the other, and therefore, wherever the destiny takes me, that's where I find myself going. It's not that I deliberated to go to a given place or not. It just happens. So situations keep being created, and he finds himself responding to a situation by what we call parecha, because of the will or the desire of other people. So, situations are created for the wise man by desire of, like somebody built an ashram. This going to ashram, for example, was not actually a, a sankalpa of Swamiji. But then, those devotees in the South India, a few devotees decided that we should have something here. So, they themselves started uh, looking for a land. So once they take, took Swamiji in Coimbatore to see some land, you know, so Swamiji, Swamiji told them that you buy some land for one of the disciples who is in Coimbatore. And so Swamiji went with them. He said, this is good land. So they bought that land for Swamiji, you know. And that is how uh, the ashram slowly and slowly grew. And there is no choice but to respond to it. There is nothing. Sometimes Swamiji tells me, I also like to sit down in Rujikesh. But you cannot because... No, one after other demands are there and there is no way that you can uh, not but, you know, respond. Anyway, but the idea is parecha prarabdham. Parecha prarabdham meaning the situations are created on account of the will of other people. And that also includes the things that other people bring to the, de- the devotees bring. Says when he is busy with his work or meditation or prayers or, or, or whatever, and then other people bring things to him, and that is also called parichya. <coughs> Another is anicca. Anicca is that which is not willed by the person as well as not willed by anybody else. Like illness, you know, that also happens. Or an accident may happen. Suppose something happens to fall from the sky, or any an accident can happen. Now that is what we call anicca prarabdha. That is also prarabdha. That is also destiny, but it is classified as anicca, meaning it is not desired by the wise person nor by anybody else. And this kind of thing that happen out of view, so they are called anicca prarabdha. So in short, anubhavan, wise man, undergoes this kind of experiences. Sachayam jivan muktaha prokta trida prarabdha prabhidam sukhadukham anubhavan. And so, these prarabdha or the experiences created by destiny can be either sukha or dukkha. It can be either happy or unhappy. You know, they can be either pleasant or unpleasant experiences. Again, the pleasant and unpleasant being determined from the common standard, of course. We imagine that the wise man doesn't regard any experience as unpleasant because as far as he is concerned, everything is Brahma, everything is God and therefore he sees God even in what we call unpleasant situations. <coughs> There was one poet in, in India, in Gujarat, he has written a little thing. This, this man every month used to travel, go to a pilgrimage on foot to a, a holy place, to a holy shrine. And this is a few hundred years ago in those days, there used to be robbers, etc., you know, who used to rob these kind of pilgrims and uh, travelers. So this man was once going to his pilgrimage and he was robbed by the robbers on the way. Then he wrote the poem. Look, how when I was going there, then this, this God, you know, Lord Krishna. So Lord Krishna came to me on the way. I didn't even have to go all the way there. He said, Lord Krishna came to meet me on the way. How did he come? In the form of robbers he came. Look, he came without invitation. I didn't even invite him. He came without invitation. And I didn't even have to make an effort to give him anything. He himself took away things. <laughs> so anyway, you generally go and offer something to the Lord, he himself took away. And so, this is, a, you know, this is exactly his vision. That he sees God even in this kind of situation. So one who is rooted, you know, one who is rooted in this vision, only sees a play of the Lord or play of the self everywhere. 
He doesn't find anything contrary to self or anything contrary to God. And that being the case, the pleasant and unpleasant are the designations from the standpoint of the onlookers. There is nothing pleasant or unpleasant for him. Everything is pleasant in that sense. So, sukha dukkhani anubhavan. Sukha dukkha lakshanani, sukha dukkha sadhanani. Not, so, the expression here is sukha dukkha lakshanani. His experiences are of the nature of sukha happiness and unhappiness. No. In fact, sukha dukkha sadhanani. What experiences, what the experiences are, what are generally classified as the means for happiness and unhappiness. Not that they create happiness or unhappiness for him. Arabda phalani anubhavan. Then, how does he experience them? What is the nature of his experience? Says here, antahkana avasadinam avasakahasan. So these various experiences come before him. And who is he? He is merely a witness of all of them. Antahkana avasadinam. So these various ex- experiences which are in the form of the various thoughts parading before him, avabhasakasana, he illumines all of them. So his relationship with all the experiences which may be pleasant or painful is one of an illuminator, one of illuminating witness. As we discussed in the evening, what is the nature of the self? The witness. That is self-effulgent, illumines simultaneously everything. The knower, the known and the knowledge, the experiencer, experience, experienced, all of these are simultaneously illumined by the self. And he also knows himself as a sakshi or the witness that illumines everything. And thus he relates to all these experiences as the one who illumines the experiences. Not one who is involved in the experiences, who is a party to the experiences, or who is connected or tainted by the experiences, one who is the illuminator of all the states of mind. Because every experience is a state of mind. And so every experience flashes as a given state of mind, whether pleasant or unpleasant, and he is the one who illumines these experiences. That is his. <coughs> this is how his life is. So when he is alive, he is like this. Arabda phalani bhogyani anubhavan asangataya bhunjanaha so, asangataya, as totally unconnected or totally detached, he, bhunjanaha, experiences these things. Antahkan avasadinam vishayakarvatinam sakshataya avasakasan, being the witness and illuminator of these various states of mind. This is his life. So this is how he is when he is exhausting his what we call prarabdha karma or the destiny. Is he waiting for the death to come? No. Is he waiting for something to happen? No. He is not waiting for anything. Because nothing more has to happen. Whatever had to happen has already happened as much as he already knows, finds himself free. So nothing more has to happen. In fact, as far as the wise man is concerned, the body is not an obstacle. There is no prarabdha for him. This was elaborately discussed in the text called Aparokshanabhuti which is supposed to be written by Shankaracharya, where he specifically makes a point. The so-called prarabdha karma or the destiny is only from the standpoint of the onlookers, not from the standpoint of the wise man. Therefore, he is not waiting for anything to happen. The body is there, it is fine. It is not there, also it is fine. As again Shankaracharya says in uh, in this text called Bhajagovindam, Yogaratova, Bhogaratova, Sangaratova, Sangavihina, Yatra, Yat, Yasya Brahmani Ramate Chittam, Nandati Nandati Nandatyeva. Yasya Brahmani Ramate Chittam, one whose Chittam of the mind dwells in Brahman, revels in Brahman. Nandati Nandati Nandatyeva. He is happy, he is happy, he is always happy. Yogaratova, whether he is absorbed in yoga, Bhogaratova, or he appears to be uh, experiencing various sense pleasures. Yogaratova, Bhogaratova. Either he is totally absorbed in himself, or he is experiencing various 
pleasures of life. Sangaratova, Sangavihinaha. Either he is in company of the people or he is all by himself. Regardless of what the situation is, Nandati, Nandati, Nandatyeva. He is happy, happy, always happy. Because his mind dwells in the self, dwells in Brahman, which is of the nature of happiness. And therefore, he can never be unhappy. So, it is not that he waits for a given situation to happen. This is, though he is happily leading his life. He is free or happy. <coughs> but anyway, when the prarabdha is exhausted, and when this body drops off, as we said, the body is comparable to that, that arrow which has been shot, and when the momentum is exhausted, then the arrow drops, and so also, when the momentum of the prarabdha is exhausted, then the body also drops off. <coughs> so it says, tad avasane. Tad avasane means when this prarabdha comes to an end. <coughs> prarabdha halabhoga avasane jate. When the prarabdha karma gets exhausted. Pratyagananda parabrahmai pranayaline. Now, here the death of a wise man is distinct, distinguished from the death of an ordinary person. Te Brahma Lokedu Parantakale Paramrudaf Parimuchyanti Sarve The prayer that we chant in the evening says Te Brahma Lokedu Parantakale The Antakala, Antakala means the last moment, end. So an ordinary person goes through what we call the death is Antakala, that is the end of his time or the last end of his time, or end of his life. But it is only end of one life, to be continued again in another embodiment. Because an ignorant person, when he dies, naturally he is not happy, or he is not content. There is discontentment, there is also desire to be free, and therefore that desire again carries him to another embodiment to fulfill that desire. So unless one becomes completely free, there is no way that this process of the birth and death will stop. And so, the embodiment or the yatra, the journey continues for an ignorant person. But what happens to the wise man? So that, how the ignorant person also is led from one embodiment to another is all described in, in, in Upanishads as well as in Bhagavad Gita. That is the last thought that occurs at the time of death which determines the destiny and accordingly the soul is led by the force of the last wish you know, to another embodiment. But how about the wise man? There's no wish in his mind. There's no wish in terms of now gaining anything, achieving anything because he's already achieved. Therefore, his mind is completely tranquil. His mind is completely tranquil without any disturbance of a desire at all. His mind abides in the self. Even at the time of death also, the mind abides. And if that being the case, he has no new embodiment at all. Meaning, the samsara or this process of birth and death has now come to an end. So in what way is his death different from the death of an ordinary person? That's what he said here. Pratyagananda parabrahmani pranayaline His prana, prana means his life force, meaning the subtle body. So what happens when a person dies is, or what we call death is, the separation of the subtle body from the gross body. As you have said a number of times, that in the gross body there is a subtle body, consisting of seventeen elements. The five, the mind, the intellect, the organs of perception, the organs of action, the five vital forces. So these make up what we call the subtle body, which is like a nucleus, which is where the consciousness is reflected. And consciousness reflected in the subtle body is what we call jiva. And this nucleus that kept on traveling from one embodiment to the other embodiment in keeping with the, the path that is determined by the karma. And as long as the nucleus is so long, that journey of, from birth to birth will continue. Now that the journey has come to a conclusion for the wise man, what happens to this nucleus? That is what we call subtle body. That nucleus no more remains. It is said that the nucleus or subtle body, which is made of various components, all those components merge into their corresponding places, and therefore that nucleus no more remains. Again, 
Mundukopanishad beautifully describes that. Uh, yeah. Gatadasha, Panchadasha, Pratishtaha, Devasya Sarvet, Pratidevatasu, Karmani, Vijnana, Mayascha, Atma, Parevyaye, Sarva Eki Bhavanti. Panchadasha Pratishtaha. So, Gata Kalaha, Panchadasha Pratishtaha. It is said that this body is made up of 15 elements. 15 different elements of 15 different principles. So all those fifteen elements merge into their own respective, for example, the five elements, you know, the space, air, fire, water, earth, which make up the gross body, the subtle body. All of those elements merge into the respective sources. Gata kalaha panchadasa pratishtaha. These kalas, meaning these various components which make up this body, all these components merge into the respective sources. Devasya sarve. And when this embodiment is there, all the gods also live here. As what we call the presiding deities. As we said earlier, that various functions which are possible in our body are due to the grace of the various presiding deities. The sun is said to dwell, reside in our eyes, and because of that the function of seeing is possible. The quarters are the presiding deity of the faculty of hearing, so they dwell in our ears and that's how hearing is possible. In short, various devatas who are the presiding deities for the various functions being performed in the body, all those devatas are living here, dwelling here as a little, that amsha or a fraction. So there is a fraction of those devatas present here in everyone and for the wise men, all those devatas who are dwelling here, they merge into the respective sources. Devasya sarve prati devatasu. Karmani, all the actions also. All the actions which are there, like the sanchita karma, etc., now that there is no use, all of them also merge into the total karma. Karmani vijnana mayaschatma. And there was what we call chidavasa, or the vijnana mayatma, the jiva, the consciousness reflected in the subtle body. And just as when the reflecting medium goes away, the reflection merges like a reflection in the bucket of water. So when the water is not there, how the reflection also merges into the image, and so also the Vijnanamaya, meaning the Chidabhasa, the reflected consciousness, also as though merges into its source, the image, consciousness, pare vyaye sarve eki bhavanti, all of these become pare eki bhavanti, all of them become one, all of them merge into pare avyaye brahmani. The param brahma is avyaya, all of these components become eki bhavanti, they merge. Meaning that no separate existence of what we call the nucleus remains anymore. <coughs> so this is called parantakala, the ultimate end. For an ignorant person it is antakala, the temporary end. Temporary end of this embodiment to be followed by another embodiment. But for the wise man it is called parantakala, the ultimate end. Because the, even the subtle body also no more remains. Again Mundaka Upanishad says, Yathanadhyaya chindamana samudre astam ganchanti na astam ganchanti naam rupe vihaya tathavidvan naam rupa vimuktaha. Just as the rivers, they merge into the ocean. The rivers which are flowing into the ocean, they merge into the ocean, giving up their names and forms. So when a river merges into the ocean, its individual name and form is given up and it becomes one with the ocean. Samudrahai tevam prochade, the river comes to be called ocean. And so also, vidwan, ratha vidwan, nam rupad vimuktaha. This vidwan or wise man also completely become free from the, having become free from the identification with the nama and the rupa. He also becomes one with Brahma. So just as a river becomes one with ocean, and so also the jiva, you may say, becomes one with Brahma. This is not a merger. But it is like saying, better example is, like a pot space becoming the space. A pot space. A space which appeared to be confined in the pot. Because of identification of the pot, when the pot breaks, how the space merges into total space, 
Is there a merger involved there or is there some kind of an action involved or a change involved? No change is involved at all. But to an onlooker it looks as though the part space has become total space. Because that wall, the walls of the part were creating an apparent division between the part space and the outer space. If the part space was enlightened and knew itself with the space, then that division is not there from the standpoint of the space. But from an onlooker standpoint, there may appear to be an apparent division. And when the part is broken, that apparent division also goes away. And the part space become one, becomes one with the total space. Becomes one with, which was one, becomes one. Apparent, you know. Similarly also, the wise man becomes one with Brahman. That's the idea here. So, that apparent division of this body and the subtle body, that apparent division also no more remains because the subtle body merges into its source. Pratyagananda parabrahmani line sati. The subtle body also merges into Brahman, you can say, merges into totality. Merges into the totality. And therefore, no more its individual existence remains. Therefore, there is no nucleus that we would call the subtle body. <clears throat> okay, the remaining discussion we will complete tomorrow. In this tomorrow we shall be concluding this text.